On today's episode, we go back to 2014 and we rebook the return of the annual Batista. Eric is going to recap Raw in 2014, and Mark is going to rebook the road to WrestleMania. Welcome to Booking Like a Mark. We rewrite past storylines, create new matches and PLEs, and make our own gimmicks and characters. It's not just fantasy booking. This is Booking Like a Mark. Monday Night Raw fell on my birthday of March 24th, and I was able to see at the Barclays Center. When they say nosebleed seats, they are not kidding. That was probably one of the worst views I've ever had. Very interesting. You had Randy Orton, Stephanie, and Batista. Crowd, to me, wasn't in it. First match of the night was a awesome Fatal 4-Way featuring Christian, Alberto Del Rio, Sheamus, and Dolph Ziggler. Winner got to fight for the IC title, which was at this time Big E. Absolutely great match. Went back and forth, and Christian ended up winning. The show also had Scooby-Doo and the Mystery Machine with Sin Cara because they were trying to push Scooby-Doo being in a DVD with some WWE superstars. Joe Maganello and Arnold Schwarzenegger with Hulk Hogan. Just a waste of a segment. They had The Miz come down. They were talking about the Battle Royal, and Hogan tossed over The Miz. At this time, Raw did have weekly guest stars to help with viewers, and to me, this part always fell flat. The Wyatt family segment with John Cena was absolutely awesome. The crowd was back and forth, chaining Cena sucks, let's go Cena. Wyatt and the whole family were just completely on a different level at that point. What I didn't understand was this match actually happened on SmackDown the week before. Harper facing Cena. Back and forth match, absolutely awesome. And you can't get any better than that ending where just when Cena was about to put Harper in the AA, the lights go out, they do that little sound effect they play, and then the lights go back on, Cena's tied up in the ropes, has the goat mask on, completely awesome segment, and the fans are chanting, this is awesome, and I completely agree. I can happily say I saw Undertaker live in person before his undefeated streak ended, Great, great segment. Brock Lesnar came down with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman running his mouth like he always does. And Brock Lesnar literally said, hey, I'm not here to talk. I'm here to fight. Druids came out with a casket. Brock Lesnar took forever, opens it to find a completely empty casket. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Paul Heyman looked like he was scared to death. Brock Lesnar goes back, shuts the lid, goes back in the ring, and is like, this is all you got? And Undertaker pops out completely crazy moment he totally got the best of him sad to me that the streak ended but i'm very happy i got to see him live in person while he was still 21 and oh and to end it off actually after the camera shut off everyone in the crowd started chanting happy birthday because the undertaker's birthday is march 24th so completely awesome segment it's nice to be a part of something after the cameras go off and this was before social media was really going off Thanks for everyone for listening. Raw, March 24th. WrestleMania 30 was a huge turning point for the WWE. It was the first pay-per-view event with the WWE Network. Unfortunately, that main event was originally supposed to be Batista versus Randy Orton for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. 
Fans did not want this match to happen. They ended up actually inserting Daniel Bryan into the main event, and he won the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. What we want to try to do in this episode is rebook the 2014 return of Batista, but have him still win the belt at WrestleMania. How can we do that, though, if the fans are cheering for Bryan? If Daniel Bryan is the top face, how do you make room for Batista to be successful without turning heel? The easiest thing to do is to actually rebook the whole thing going back to December with the TLC pay-per-view. WWE had John Cena defend the World Heavyweight title and Ray Duran defend the WWE title in a unification tables, ladders, and chairs match. What they should have done was just use this occasion to swap the belts. Have it be for both titles, but never actually say it's a unification match. John Cena would walk out of this event now as the WWE Champion. Randy Orton would walk out as the World Heavyweight Champion. By doing this, what you're allowing yourselves to do is you can have Daniel Bryan be the top face and have all that momentum and have a rematch with John Cena at WrestleMania. Their match at SummerSlam was very well received, and this would give them a chance to have Daniel Bryan win the WWE title on that big stage and give the fans their moment. Conversely, because there would be a second title still, Batista could still have that big match with Randy Orton. Theoretically, the fans wouldn't have turned on him because Daniel Bryan would still be getting a push, and if faced Batista could have won the World Heavyweight title. If John Cena is facing Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania, where does that leave Bray Wyatt? What we would do is, again, we're going all the way back to December. So we're thinking out that we would do Bray Wyatt versus CM Punk. We have the Wyatt family, who is a cult almost, following their leader, Bray. Very similar to what CM Punk had done with the Strategy Society and the new Nexus. So we can play on that a bit, and we could have Bray Wyatt say, Punk, you're no better than I am. And you can try to have that be the crux of that storyline. Once you get to the Royal Rumble, though, if Punk's still left, you could actually transition that into being Bray Wyatt versus Triple H. In our booking, Triple H would not be facing Daniel Bryan, so he'd be available to slot in to face Bray Wyatt instead. Very easy fix is you have the Wyatt family who's kind of destroying WWE from the inside out, and Triple H as the authority can't allow that to happen. That would actually tie in pretty well with the idea of Elimination Chamber having the Wyatt family face the Shield, because the Shield were kind of acting as Triple H's muscle at that time. And so that would work very well on the road to WrestleMania for a Triple H versus Bray Wyatt match. All of that is assuming that WWE did not unify the title belts at TLC. Unfortunately, they did unify the belts. And so that's the reality that we're trying to work with in our storyline. Why did the fans turn on Dave Batista? If you rewatch his first night back, he came out and he got a very good reception. Unfortunately, the crowd almost turned on him halfway through that. He was talking about going and winning the Royal Rumble and headlining WrestleMania. The fans were so over for Daniel Bryan that they were already turning on Batista just in that initial return promo. If you had him come back and not mention the Royal Rumble and not mention WrestleMania, but just say he's coming back to fight the authority, now there's the potential of having him be an ally to Daniel Bryan, and you wouldn't have the fans turning on him so quickly. Why else did the fans turn on him? He was pretty much coming in and doing the exact storyline that The Rock had done the year prior. The Rock had come back at the Royal Rumble in 2013, beat CM Punk and the historic WWE Championship reign, and he walked into the main event of WrestleMania as a part-timer. That's kind of what Batista was doing. He was coming in to main event WrestleMania and win the championship. 
The fans had seen that and they didn't want it. Like I said, Daniel Bryan was so over that Batista was never going to be the top face. So the best thing they could have done was don't push him as the top face, but just book him as a face. You can have multiple faces at the same time. If you look back at last year, Sami Zayn and Cody Rhodes, where they were both super over with the fans, the fans' support for Sami didn't overshadow the fans' support for Cody and vice versa. If you rebook Batista to be more complimentary to Daniel Bryan, you could actually piggyback some of that support, which might also help elevate Batista as a face. And we talked about Batista kind of redoing the Rock storyline, but part of the problem was a lot of WWE was rehashing old storylines and concepts. You could really just watch Raw every week because SmackDown just pretty much gave you rematches and video recaps of what had already taken place earlier in the week. Just to show how much WWE was just rehashing old stories, let's play a quick game. Welcome to another edition of Turnbuckle Trivia. And today we have Alexis on the show. Now, she is not a wrestling fan, far from it. She doesn't know the difference between a wrist lock and a wrist watch, but she's going to try to answer three questions and see if she can master Turnbuckle Trivia. In what year did Brock Lesnar beat Big Show at the Royal Rumble. Well, the podcast is 2014, so it's gotta be 2014, right? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Brock Lesnar beat the Big Show at the 2003 Royal Rumble. Next question. What year did Randy Orton attack John Cena's father during the build to their world championship match at the pay-per-view? 2014? I'm sorry, that is also incorrect. The right answer is 2007. 2007. In what year did Dave Batista win the Royal Rumble? Was it 2014? The answer to that was 2005. 2005 is when Dave Batista won the Royal Rumble. I am so sorry, Alexis. Unfortunately, you got zero questions correct. Oh. I'm sorry, what was that? All of her answers were correct? But, but the card says, so all of those things actually also happen in 2014. Alexis, you actually are the winner. As you can see, it was just same old, same old. To the point where I actually called the 2014 Royal Rumble the 2014 Rerun Rumble. We had a lot of the same exact matches and same stories that we had already seen. Plus, on the pre-show, the New Age Outlaws, who had just come back, won the Tag Team Championships again. And during the show, they had been setting up for CM Punk to feud with the Authority. So you were kind of setting up CM Punk versus Triple H. Now, if you caught last week's episode, you know CM Punk feuded with an authority Triple H all the way back in 2011. So why did they need to rehash that one? If you read the old reports and kind of look into the history of WrestleMania 30, the original idea was Daniel Bryan was going to face Sheamus. Now, the two of them had already faced off for WrestleMania 27 for the U.S. title, WrestleMania 28 for the World Heavyweight title. 
So why, for WrestleMania 30, did the fans want to see that story again? The easiest way to rebook the road to WrestleMania in 2014 is to follow a very simple concept. Learn from history, don't repeat history. So much was rehashed and redone, but we can actually just take old ideas and update them and rejuvenate them. For instance, the biggest storyline of the Attitude Era was Mr. McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, a heel authority figure versus a very over babyface. That could work. You had Daniel Bryan, who was a fresh top face against the authority in Triple H. The fans wanted to see that. If you built to it properly, you could have gotten great moments. Look how good the match was at WrestleMania that they had. And that was the backup plan. Imagine if you literally started going into the Royal Rumble with that in mind. Triple H is going to face Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. We would take that, and to start that, we would actually have Daniel Bryan in the Royal Rumble match. Part of the reason why the fans turned on Rey Mysterio, and part of the reason why fans turned on the match towards the end of it, was that Daniel Bryan wasn't in it. If you look at that card, the thing that was over the most was Daniel Bryan, and the fans wanted to see him succeed. Just put him in the match. Have Daniel Bryan be the number 30. The fans get the big pop, and then you have Triple H and Kane interfere and cost him the match. Unfortunately, one of the things that hurt the actual storyline was that Triple H really wasn't active in it until after the Elimination Chamber. Even though Triple H and Daniel Bryan had speaking segments, they really weren't getting physical until after Elimination Chamber. Kane was kind of the placeholder for that. He, as the director of operations, was getting more physical with Bryan. If you have Triple H cost Daniel Bryan the actual Royal Rumble match, now we're setting up the physicality. And coming out of that, with Batista winning the Rumble and Bryan being screwed out of the Rumble, you set up a tag match at the Elimination Chamber. Batista teams with Daniel Bryan to defeat Triple H and Kane. Batista gets the rub from being in the ring with Daniel Bryan. He is going to be set up as that secondary face. and can lead to the Triple H-Daniel Bryan match. That sets up WrestleMania 30, where we're going to have Batista defeat Randy Orton for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Theoretically, because Daniel Bryan is being set up to face Triple H, the fans aren't booing Batista. I don't necessarily know if the fans needed Bryan to win the belt. I think they just needed Daniel Bryan to get a push. If you look, he kept getting close, but then losing. Even the match at the Royal Rumble that he had with Bray Wyatt was a great match, but they put Bray Wyatt over. Brian would be in the main event, though. Triple H versus Chris Jericho was for the Undisputed Championship in 2002, but it was overshadowed by The Rock and Hulk Hogan. Triple H versus Randy Orton at WrestleMania 25 was for the WWE Championship, but that was overshadowed by The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. So we're going to have Batista beat Randy Orton for the world title in the mid-card or even in the opening match. And your main event is going to be Daniel Bryan beating Triple H in the storyline that actually started all the way back at SummerSlam. If you want to go kind of with an Attitude Era finish, you can have Kane and Randy Orton come out and help Triple H. Just to have Batista, your newly crowned champion, chase them off. So this way, again, you're going to get that big pop when Batista comes and chases off those heels. So now you're serving both purposes. Unfortunately, WWE was so hesitant to embrace Bryan that by the time they did, they had to change a bunch of things. All of it was very reactionary. Instead, this is more proactive, and we're looking at it in advance and kind of seeing, 
Daniel Bryan is already getting these huge responses in early January at the Royal Rumble. You knew well before WrestleMania time that Daniel Bryan was your top face. So let's actually embrace that. Let's give the fans what they want, especially if you're trying to launch the WWE Network. What else does a WrestleMania card look like? I would actually keep John Cena facing Bray Wyatt in this version. I feel like it was a big moment for Bray Wyatt, a big storyline. I would just switch the winner. Bray Wyatt needed the win a lot more than John Cena did. I would have Brock Lesnar still face The Undertaker, but I would not have Brock break the streak. He didn't need to break the streak. You could have had him lose to The Undertaker, and Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar just keep getting annoyed at the term victim. You keep having everyone say, oh, Brock was another victim of the streak, a victim of The Undertaker. And that's what makes Brock snap. That's what makes Brock more vicious, more dangerous, more violent than ever. And you could still have him absolutely destroy Cena at SummerSlam and put the belt on him. Now, we can actually even go past WrestleMania. If we have Batista coming out as the secondary face and you're a new champion coming out of WrestleMania, where do we take that? The next month at Extreme Rules, I would have Batista retain the title against Randy Orton and Triple H in the Triple Threat match. I know what you're saying. Mark, you've been doing all this talking about Daniel Bryan not being featured. Why would your follow-up pay-per-view not be Daniel Bryan? I would have him still face Kane in the Extreme Rules match. Switching Kane back to the Demon, having him target Daniel Bryan's family, would actually make sense as a good follow-up feud for Extreme Rules and keep him out of Batista's way for that triple threat. Then, coming out of that, because you'd have Batista retain the title and you'd have Daniel Bryan beating Kane in the Extreme Rules match, they can't deny it anymore. And they face off at Payback, Two out of three falls. Why two out of three falls? Because in this storyline, we want to keep the title on Batista, but we want Daniel Bryan to have a great showing. We would have Batista get the first fall with a Batista bomb, but then we would actually get him to tap out to the yes lock for the second fall. And that way, again, Daniel Bryan will look very strong because the champion will have tapped out to his submission hold. Batista would win with a final Batista bomb. There's another person that we haven't talked about. Someone else who was being pushed on the undercard. He had a good showing in the Rumble. He qualified and was in the Elimination Chamber. And then he won the Andre the Giant Battle Royal at WrestleMania. Cesaro, we're going to set him up as the next challenger for Batista going into Money in the Bank. At this point, we've made Cesaro a Paul Heyman guy. And Heyman will be in his corner. I kind of see this happening a little bit like Batista's match with JBL at the Great American Bash in 2005. The heel is going to introduce a chair into the match but Batista is going to be the one caught using it. So because Cesaro is technically going to get a win over the champ, it will set up a rematch at Battleground. I really want to build up Batista now with a very physical match because we have plans for him at SummerSlam. For Battleground, his rematch with Cesaro is going to be a cage match. We've seen Batista in cage matches before, and we really want to emphasize, look what happens when you put the animal in a cage. He's going to have an extremely physical match with Cesaro, and he's going to have a decisive win over Cesaro. This leads him up to SummerSlam. Paul Heyman, now out for revenge, with a vengeful client, Brock Lesnar, comes back. SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar defeats Batista for the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, actually, if you look, from what I've read, the original plan was for Batista to win the title at WrestleMania and to hold on to it until SummerSlam, because that was the summer that the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie was coming out, and Batista wanted to kind of cross-promote that. He wanted to be the champion and take that title for red carpets 
and different press events leading up to the movie and get good cross promotion. So if you look, what's the overarching storyline here? Batista is refusing to play ball with Triple H and the Authority. Triple H puts his faith in Randy Orton to retain the title at WrestleMania, but he inserts himself for Extreme Rules when Orton loses. Batista had come back and he was not in Triple H's corner like Triple H thought. If you look at that initial return when Batista came out, Triple H and Stephanie were thrilled to see him. But because we're setting up that Elimination Chamber match where Batista goes against the Authority, we want there to be a lot of tension. Batista is not going to be the new face of the WWE that Triple H thought he was bringing back. After the Triple Threat, the Authority, Triple H, Randy Orton, and Kane have to switch focus to the Shield. This allows Batista to have some other feuds, but Triple H is still trying to get the title off of him in the background. At Payback, Triple H makes Batista face Daniel Bryan, hoping the fans turn on him. Since Bryan leads Batista to a solid match, though, he kind of stays face. That's where we have Paul Heyman enter the mix and offer his client Cesaro as a new challenger. And if you don't feel he really is a main event level talent, you can have that match be in the mid card and have your Money in the Bank ladder match be your main event. So you still have options there. So you're kind of playing it safe with Cesaro's push. Now, Batista flips out because we've got that big cage match and we've brought out the animal of him. Figure, when he first comes back, he's hyping more of the Hollywood star side. And this is more of his return to the animal side. This all sets up that big moment where Heyman offers Brock Lesnar as the challenger for the title, just like in real life. The Authority wanted to take the belt off John Cena, and that is why they had Brock Lesnar be the number one contender. A lot of this does mirror how WWE was operating at the time, but hopefully the fans would not have turned on Batista with our booking. Ironically, the fans didn't mind nostalgia. If you look, the opening of WrestleMania 30 was Hulk Hogan, The Rock, and Stone Cold in the ring together. Fans wanted nostalgia. They just didn't want all repeats. That's why by redoing some of these things and just reintroducing old concepts, but updating them and refreshing them, we can actually get great results. Learn from history. Don't repeat history. So please reach out to us on social media and let us know what you think. On X, we have our daily poll Monday through Friday, and we usually post some fun content on the weekends as well. On Facebook, we have our clip of the day. So when you listen to our updated bookings, you know exactly what concepts we're talking about. And we will catch up with you next week when we look at what a WWE stable would look like called Day One. I'll let you ponder who would be in that over the next couple of days. And we will see you next Monday with another episode of Booking Like a Mark. It's not just fantasy booking. This is Booking Like a Mark.